You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope. In the name of Jesus, amen. We sometimes, dear saints, hear Advent called the Little Lent. I suppose this is true. I mean, we mostly think of Advent as the time before Christmas. But the Advent season is a season of repentance of self-reflection, and I think especially it is a season designed to teach us to wait and to be patient. Now, I noticed this week, and I'm a little bit excited about it, this parallel, another parallel between Advent and Lent that I had never had seen before. Lent, the season of Lent is bookend with two great temptations, the two great temptations of Jesus. Lent begins in Vokavit, the first Sunday of Lent, has the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, his 40 days where he neither ate or drank, and the devil just assaulted him with all sorts of temptations. And then the season of Lent ends with Jesus' final temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's tempted to let the cup of God's wrath, which he despised, to let it go. But he prayed, if it's possible, let the cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And so we consider this temptation all through Lent. Now, Advent also has two temptations, but not the temptations of Jesus. Here we hear of the temptation of John. And John's life, his ministry, like the ministry of Jesus, can be bookend with these two great temptations. His final temptation comes, and we heard about it last week, when he's in prison. And he's tempted to deny Christ or to lose his faith, his trust in the Lord. But John's ministry, like Jesus, begins also with a temptation, and that is our text today. Now, it's quite amazing, really, that at the very moment when the gospel reading from John chapter 1 is happening, when the delegation from the the Pharisees from Jerusalem have come to John in the wilderness, and they're testing him, at that very moment, Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. In fact, we think if we put both Gospels together, that the last assault of the devil where he brings the three great temptations to Jesus to turn bread into, to, to turn the stone into bread and to jump off of the temple and put God to the test or to avoid the cross by, by bowing down and worshiping the devil, that that is occurring on the same day that John is visited by these Pharisees. Now, the temptation that John is facing then It's not the same that Jesus is facing. Jesus is being tempted according to His promise that God the Father spoke to Him in His baptism. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. John is facing a different kind of temptation. The temptation to take an office that's not given to him by God. John is being tempted to claim that he is the Christ or Elijah or the prophet. Imagine it. Now, here's the scene. Here's John, the cousin of Jesus, six months older than Jesus, by the way. He's 30 years, 31 years old. He's lived a life of deprivation, eating locusts and wild honey, living in the wilderness, wearing camel skin, which I can't imagine is particularly comfortable, studying the Scriptures, so that he, he, he's preparing for this office of prophet. And at some point, the Holy Spirit called John the Baptist to come and baptize and preach and prepare the way for the Messiah. And John has been doing that down by Bethsaida, beyond the Jordan, at the place where the Jordan River empties into the Dead Sea. 
Now, how long John was preaching and baptizing before Jesus came to him, we don't know. But it was long enough for the crowds to start coming to John. In fact, the gospel text says that all of Judea had gone down to hear John preaching. I mean, everyone in Jerusalem and the surrounding countries had gone to John's pulpit in the wilderness. And most of the people had been baptized by them. So John had a huge following, and John had disciples. He had people that were following him and listening to his teaching. Now, Jesus comes to John to be baptized. And John immediately recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. He says to Jesus, I don't need to baptize. You don't need to be baptized by me. I need to be baptized by you. And and this insight of John about Jesus is confirmed because as soon as Jesus comes out of the water, remember, the Holy Spirit comes down on him in the form of a dove and a voice shouts from heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now this is the moment that John had been waiting for. This is the culmination of his life's work. This, the baptism of Jesus and his appearance on the scene, is why John was sent into the world to prepare the way for Jesus, to announce the coming of the Messiah. And then the very next day, Jesus is gone. And we know what happens from from Mark and Luke and Matthew, that the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. But John only knows that Jesus isn't there. He saw him walk out into the wilderness, over the horizon, and now there's word none. It, word is mum about where Jesus is. And he, and he waits one week, two weeks, six weeks, and still no Jesus. John, is, in the meantime, is baptizing and teaching. His popularity keeps growing. People keep coming to him. But still, there is no Jesus. John can look out into the, into the horizon of the wilderness where he last saw Jesus disappearing into the distance, and it's empty. He's not coming back. And, and this is the situation when these Pharisees come down to him to interview him. And now you can see the temptation. Who are you? They ask. Now, we don't know what motivated the Pharisees. They were the kings of public opinion. And perhaps they wanted to know what other voices were out there. What what the people were listening to. Perhaps they wanted to see if John the Baptist could be helpful to their own cause. Perhaps they wanted to set John the Baptist up so they could have him killed like they did to Jesus. But their questions come to John as the severest temptation for the baptizer. And each one of the questions that they ask of these four will be more and more difficult for John. I mean, John could have looked around and seen the thousands of people gathered to hear his preaching, the adoring crowds, the the fleet of disciples, and, and, and know Jesus anywhere. And he could have said simply, I'm the Christ. But he doesn't. I am not the Christ, he says. And he passes the first test. Something easier, the devil and the Pharisees bring to him the next question. Are you Elijah, they ask. Now, as the offices get lower, the temptation get more subtle. It's the opposite of the way it is with Jesus. It seems like with Jesus, the temptations escalate and get bigger and grander in scheme. But with John, the temptations get smaller and smaller. Well, if you're not the Christ, then are you Elijah? 
And John could have said yes. And everyone would have believed him. Jesus, we heard it in the in the gospel reading last week. Jesus said, if you can accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. But John the Baptist is not the Elijah that the Pharisees are expecting. He's not the Elijah who's coming to call down fire from heaven. So he resists again the temptation and says to them, I am not. Now the third question, the third temptation, the smaller office still. Are you the prophet? Again, John could have said yes, and everyone would have believed him. In fact, I think the Pharisees would have believed him. Sure, I'm the prophet. And imagine what John could have done if he would have had this title, the prophet. He could use that office for such good. He could straighten out the people. More and more would come and listen to his preaching. And maybe someone would bring him a sandwich instead of locusts to eat. But here John remains steadfast to the end. Are you the prophet? And he answers simply, without hesitation, no. The fourth and last temptation comes. Who are you then? What, what report can we give to the people that sent us? What do you say of yourself? And here is the last temptation and the most subtle, the most profound. It is the temptation for John to preach himself, to say something about himself. But that is not John's office. He is not there to preach himself, but to Christ. Not there to point to himself, but to Jesus. Say something about yourself, they say, but he refuses. And instead, he gives them the words of Isaiah. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. John isn't even the one in the wilderness. He's just the voice of the one in the wilderness. And he will not testify of himself. He only will give the testimony of Isaiah. Why then do you baptize? And here John has overcome the temptation. And he is back to the office that the Lord has given to him. I am only here to point you to the Christ. I, I baptize you with water, but the one coming after me whose sandal I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with fire and the Spirit. There is one standing in your midst who is greater than me, and his way I am preparing. And John has overcome the devil's temptation, and he has stood firmly in his office. Now, uh, I don't think that any of us can quite understand or sympathize with the difficulty that John faced there in the wilderness when the Pharisees came to them. The difficulty of claiming an office that is not his own. But we rejoice that by the Holy Spirit, John stood firm and made the good confession. Now, remember how it was after Jesus withstood the temptation of the devil that the angels come to comfort him. But John is going to even have a better comfort. Because the very next day, 
The day after the interview of the Pharisees of John at the Jordan River, the very next day, Jesus comes to visit John. He's finished with his fasting and his temptation, and he comes back, and the first visit he makes is to John. Back over the horizon, so that now John can preach his sermon that he's been longing to preach, and perhaps the sweetest words in all of Holy Scripture, he says to the people, to the Pharisees, and to everyone, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John begins to decrease so that Jesus can increase. Now, uh, what of this? What does this temptation of John have to do with us and Advent and Christmas today? I don't suppose that many of us are tempted to claim to be Jesus or to take the office of the Messiah. But this temptation comes to each one of us every day to be our own Savior, to justify ourselves, to make excuses for our sin, or to claim some sort of merit by our own works, by our own deeds, by our own efforts, or by our own intent to save ourselves. That comes to us constantly. And the temptation comes to us to give up waiting. Waiting for the Lord and His mercy. Waiting for the Lord and His justice. Waiting for the Lord and His kindness. Waiting for Jesus to come and make things right. We are all tempted every day to trust in ourselves, to say, if I want it done right, I have to do it myself. And we grow weary. We grow tired of waiting for the Lord to come in His mercy to us. We grow weary in in, in waiting for the Lord to make things right. All all the sins that are committed against us and all the terrible things that people have done and said about us, and it seems like the Lord isn't even moving a finger. And we try to make it right ourselves. If Advent is the season of John the Baptist, it is the season of learning to endure temptation with patience. It is the season of learning to wait. And this waiting is not sitting around and twirling our thumbs, wasting our time. The Christian waits by trusting in the Lord's promise to save us. John John's waiting was undergirded by his office and the promise of God. By knowing that Jesus was the Messiah, even when he was nowhere to be seen. Knowing that Jesus cannot lie and that he always tells the truth and that he was the Savior of the world. And this, dear saints, is how we wait as well. Trusting that Jesus is your Savior. That he is your hope. That He is your peace. That He is your life. And that even if He is nowhere to be seen, He is coming soon for you. At the right time, 
Jesus, the Savior of the nations, will be revealed. But now, we have His sure and certain promises. And in these we hope. And in these we wait. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 830 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 930 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.